All right, so I left you this morning with Egypt. If you weren't here, that's okay. We forgive you. If you're here tonight, glad you're here. Um, Egypt was a sinful place. It was that large mecca of sin, right? Uh, If you have a handout, you'll see a little quote at the top, and I'm just going to read that to you as you read along. But sin carries with it a repetitive, addictive properties, right? As seen in the nation of Israel's continual murmuring that left them longing, much like an addict for substances, They were longing continually for Egypt. They always went back to it. The end result was known. (laughs) They were were familiar with what happens in Egypt, right? They're dead. Their children are dead. There's bondage. The end result of the attic, he knows that this is a temporal fix. But in the twisted mind, there's this momentary comfort in sin. There is a deceptive rest in the known sin versus the unknown hardship God is working out for your good pleasure. So I look at this life that God calls me to, and this is why the prosperity gospel fails so miserably, because God calls me to this life, and it's marked by, at times, sorrow and sacrifice and hardships. And God calls me to that, and that doesn't look too great. But as he grows me through that, there is true lasting joy and pleasure. Whereas sin gives me the momentary ah, this feels good in the moment, I can let go, I, and then the destruction, the guilt, the sorrow, the conflict, the division, right? Temporal moment-by-moment moment pleasure and satisfaction is found in my sin. I won the argument. <laughs> yeah, but now my wife and I aren't talking. I showed them I got my revenge. They deserved it. That felt good to, to nail them. I, in college, I used to love this because I was a verbal jouster. We are all talking, debate, and discussing theology and stuff. And then what problem happens is your arrogance shows up in a dorm room with a bunch of guys who are talking theology and application. And so you're, you're one up in each other, right? And it's just fueling your pride. And so then you walk away and you're like, oh, we just talked all about unity in God's word and, and promoting brotherly kindness. And we're all walking away thinking we are just... We just fueled our arrogance, and we use God's word to do it. (laughs) So uh, the temporal pleasure that precedes destruction can be more enticing, that's written down there, I think, than the temporal hardship God often calls us to in order to experience true joy and lasting pleasure. But at least if you're here tonight, and if you were here this morning, you are, I would hope, you're desiring to be a growing believer. And so if that's the case, if in your heart of hearts you're saying, I want to grow, I want to keep growing, I want to keep maturing. You're, you're hopefully recognizing this particular quality of sin in your own life, this repetitive nature, this addictive, this returning to it over and over and over again. And so you're praying, Spirit, give me the strength as Paul to die daily to the allures of sin. Um, my wife, Nicole, is sitting back there, and she when we found out we had this mold issue and then we found out that, okay, it's not just like, you know, it's not, it's not that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not just getting out of it and then you're okay. Uh, the mold was wreaking havoc on her body and just because she left didn't mean that all of a sudden, that's, that's step one, right? But then that she was going to need to go on this pretty rigorous plan to, to help remove the effects of the mold in her system and clean out her system, right? Um, I was at home the least, so I wasn't there nursing a baby. I was in and out at horse farm, and so I probably had the least amount. I would get headaches at night, uh, and I just chucked it up to stress and fatigue, and so you'd sip some tea, and, but it was becoming pretty regular. 
But she went on this, this, it wasn't just, you know, dairy-free and no gluten, but it was even beyond that. It It left her eating, like, very few types of meats, and she would have to rotate those and only eat those at certain amounts of time or so many times within a week, along with a variety of supplements, all in this effort for healing. And if you asked her, she's sitting back there, she would tell you it worked, right? No more blurred vision, no more just random leg weakness in her body as she tries to get up. Um, she, w- she was having these ice pick headaches that were just pretty severe, and, and all of that, praise God, is gone. And so this effort, this, this drastic measure that she took towards her health and our boys, um, it's helped. Now, if you talk to her today, uh, the last, what, babe, a month or two, probably, two, since Christmas, we've, we've kind of got off track. <laughs> For the last couple months, she hasn't stuck to this particular diet, and it was a tough diet, and they did loosen some things up for her, but she would find some treats that would still fall into the diet and were still unhealthy, and, and I'm not, this is not a diet uh, speech, so don't get me wrong, but the past few weeks, she has felt the negative effects of not sticking to the plan, so to speak, right? And she can see where what she consumed has impacted her, which leads me to my first point on your sheet. Um, when it comes to our sin, we're going to look in Psalm 51, which we looked at a long time ago, David's heart. But in order to actually, like I said this morning, in order to attack, in order to develop a plan, in order to improve, I think all of us would agree the first step in my journey of growing and maturing is to actually recognize the problem. We were in that house for four years, five years, and we had really no idea. You're living in a place that is destroying your health physically. If you are living in a way that and you're not even contemplating or considering the sin and how it's affecting you spiritually, that's the problem, right? Sometimes you get into a rut of just complaining, just like the Israelites, and you might go weeks and you haven't been in God's word. And, and the truth and the, rec- the realization of that sin and how it's affecting you, is not you're not fully recognizing it. Right? So recognize your sin and then repent of it. Go to Psalm 51. And that's where we're going to be. I cheated because I, I put my little tag in there so I get to re- open right up to it. Psalm 51. The first step in having victory over sin is to recognize that sin. Nicole and I, <laughs> this morning, because I told you that uh, what I preached this morning was just what God is working in our hearts. Nicole and I, on our way home from church this morning, we chatted about our known sins that mirrored the sins of the Israelites, right? So we agreed that we needed to attack the sin in our life. Our boys are in the back seat. We're playing some music, and the two of us are going back and forth chatting on our way home. Uh, uh, Well, home in Midland, but about what we need to do to attack certain sins in our life. So our home was not, our home up in Gladwin, it was not a good dwelling place for our physical for our family's health. And if you remember correctly from God's word, what is your body to be? <laughs> a good dwelling place for who? God. Yeah, the, whole, the spirit of God. So David's heart, you're at 51, Psalm 51. David steps out here, and, and this reiterates what we've talked about with Saul and David a while back, but Psalm 51 shows us David's heart. He cries out in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, 
according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitudes of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me. I acknowledge, verse 3, my transgressions. (laughs) Acknowledge the sin, right? And my sin is ever before me. He doesn't hide from it anymore. He's not trying to cover it up. He, 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 it's right there. I admit it. I see it. Uh, skip down, verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, verse 7. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. This is a prayer, and it's a little song that we would sing in college, uh, my soccer team, but create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. The beauty of our relationship is there's no fear in verse 11. Will God ever cast me away from his presence? No. But does sin hurt that connection now? Absolutely. So I don't have to fear being away from God's presence. I'm always able to go into the, to the Holy of Holies. But I do at times need to pray, verse 12, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Right? When I am down, when I am uh, in dealing with sin, and there's times, there's, there's not a lot of joy there, right? You're, you're fixed on complaining about your house situation, your child, children's health. You're sitting there saying, God, what, what's going on? And there's not a lot of joy there. So, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So David's heart, he acknowledges the sin, he turns from it, he repents of it. Um, when, I, when I think of him, David, and I look down at 16 through 19, this is the, this is the convicting thought. Because we all came Sunday morning, and before we walked in, we, might, we, we may not have prayed God I, I, I am sorry for the complaining before you came in, right? But it, when you look at verses 16 through 20, what does David basically say? You show up to Sunday morning and you worship, or you show up to the altar and you sacrifice. Sacrifice, it was this, the, um, the act of burning the, in, of, of the sacrifice on the altar. In our terminology, it might be I sacrifice my time, I serve other people, I do the good things that are in the church, and I, I work in nursery, and I do all these, this stuff. And basically, God says to David, David acknowledges that that's, God doesn't care about that. What? We're supposed to be in church. Yes, we are. God doesn't care about that if there's a clause, right? <laughs> God cares about all those things, but God doesn't, he's not concerned with you doing a bunch of stuff for him if what? If your heart's not right. So my wife and I, if we had a complaining spirit all week long and then we show up to Sunday and we just worship God and, we, and then we go out on Monday and we keep complaining, hello, spiritual believer who wants to grow and want, you're, you're not doing it right. <laughs> it's not how you do it. You don't just come to church and, 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 and worship me and sing these songs to me knowing that you have this sin that you really haven't. I'm not talking about, hey, God, sorry I sinned. I'm sorry for the sin that, that, that any sin that I did today, these broad prayers. No, I have been complaining. No, I have been blowing it with being argumentative with my spouse. No, I have been blowing it with my responses to my children in the heat of the moment, and I've been doing that over and over and over. I have been struggling with an anger problem. I've been struggling with my mouth and what I say or what I don't say. Whatever the known sin is, right, are you repentant of that? And so 
this is the heart of David. David has, has a beautiful, only God-given acknowledgement of his sin. He repents of that sin, but then he also sees what God really, really wants. And it's not this right here without the broken and contrite heart. The broken and contrite heart comes first. Okay? So number one on your notes, if you're putting something down there, um, we must recognize our sin. We must repent of our sin. God doesn't want our lip service on Sunday, Sunday while we yell at our spouses on Monday. He doesn't care for our fancy clothes and external praise that you offer up on the Sabbath when your heart has been far from him all week. You must be broken before the true worship and fellowship continues. Okay? We're going to jump from Psalm 51. We're just going to go systematically through each point, and we're going to turn in the New Testament to Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy chapter 2. I borrowed Kleenex, guys, because that's how prepared I was to mark out my spots in the Bible so I could go there quickly. I'll ramble while you guys get there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 brings me to this next point. If I'm going to be serious about the sin that I've been a, been a part of, that I've been committing, and I'm saying I want to grow and I want to, to see this improve, I truly want to mature you'll see Paul challenge Timothy with point number two. Be in heavy pursuit of what? Of God's word. I must recognize my sin and repent of it. I must pursue God's word. And this one, this one hits home for me big time because I am, I am deep under conviction on this one because I am just not where I need to be. And I'll admit that outright, Right? In Psalm 119, God's word is the guide to victory. In Psalm 119, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It's what lights my path. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's me. <laughs> Psalm 119, 9 through 10, it says, How can a young person stay on the, the path of purity? How do you walk in holiness? By living according to my word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. How do I walk in purity? It's by saturating myself in God's word. In this passage, 2 Timothy, if you scroll down, you're going to see the part, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, he talks a lot. In the first several verses, if you're kind of skimming that, he's talking a lot about the, the evil that is in this world. And we could see that this is, this is nothing new under the sun, right? It still goes on today. Verse 2, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Yep. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, all the above. And, um, and so Paul challenges him to not be associated. Don't go with these people. Don't be like these people. You're set apart from this. Um, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, Paul, in verse 10. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, or my teaching, gospel, manner of life, the way I lived, my purpose, my faith my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. All of these things are lived out unto you, Timothy. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou, this is the challenge to you, Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child, you kids sitting here tonight, has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation 
through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It goes beyond, you, you learn this unto salvation, but verse 16, we know the verse, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul, you've been complaining, you need to be instructed in truth. That the man, what's the purpose of it? That the man of God, and I'm going to pull out right there real quick on the man of God. The man of God was used Old Testament a lot. The man of God, Moses. The man of God, uh, the prophets were often told, this man of God. It's not used in the New Testament hardly at all, but with Timothy. He says, you can be this man of God. For the man of God, which that's what you are, to be complete or perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So uh, another person wrote it this way, um, the man of God is helped by scripture in two areas. First, he is made to be complete, a a term referring to this maturity. And that's what I want. I think everybody sitting here, that's what you want. You want to be not viewed in arrogance that, look, I'm a mature Christian, because then as soon as you do that, you're not a mature Christian. Uh, But (laughs) you're striving for this maturity, and how do you do that? It's through allowing God's word to correct you, to instruct you in righteousness, to reprove you. And we, I don't have time to walk through all of what those things mean. But what does that do? That equips you for every good work. Regardless of the need, Timothy would have this worldview to properly live out his faith. It is accurate biblical understanding that better enhances biblical application to these life issues. So, this was my convicting message to myself. If you are not seeking counsel in God's word, you will not have victory. I'll say it again. Paul, point the finger at me. If you are not seeking counsel in God's word, you will, capital N-O-T, I could show you my notes, not have victory. Hmm. Other than teaching my students the Bible in the morning in fourth grade, how am I doing with spending time with God? Two thumbs down, I'll be honest. I don't have pastor title. I can be honest like that. (laughs) There's probably some pastors that are there too. Uh, Other than preparing for this message, which was super convicting, and the last one, how much time am I spending? It's as if you're expecting a group of toddlers with sticks to go up against and defeat the Russian tanks. This is what happens repeatedly throughout Scripture, right? This go-it-alone mentality. The Israelites did that several times, and guess what? Every single time it led to what? Death instruction. You cannot. You cannot sit here and say, I want to have victory over my complaining. I want to have victory over my anger. I want to have, that's my desire in my heart. But the problem is we sit in the pews, we hear that, we feel convicted, we walk out, we keep going. I'm guilty. (laughs) But God is telling me that I need God's word for instruction and righteousness. I need it for the correction and for the doctrine and for the reproof. I need it so that I can grow up spiritually, and yet, so often, I don't. It's simply not going to happen. It's a crash-and-burn situation, living in your own futile strength, spinning your wheels with no success or growth in sight. God says, abide in me as a branch to the vine in order to bear fruit, but there's no fruit without abiding, and there's no abiding without God's word in your life. I'll say that again, too. Paul, there's no fruit. You are not going to bear fruit the way that I have intended you to bear fruit, You are my chosen child. I've connected you to myself through salvation, through the gift of my son. And you are only going to bear the fruit, as much fruit as you were designed to bear, if you abide in me. But Paul, you cannot abide in me 
if you don't open my word. You can't claim the abiding status <laughs> without listening to me because this is where he speaks to me. Sometimes we, we fall to prayer quickly, but we don't dive into what God has to say in his word. But point number three on your outline is be fervent in prayer. My wife read about mold illness. She studied diets. She sought counsel from experts down in another state. She incurred the expense we sacrificed to make her well, but she didn't just start shooting from the hip. There was wisdom in the counsel of physical well-being. There is only one expert, guys, in the field of perfection, <laughs> and that's Jesus. And he wrote a book for us to know of himself and become more like him. A striving for Christ's likeness cannot come outside of or apart from the plan or the instruction manual, as our pastor would say. You just won't find success without consulting it, meditating on it, letting it rebuke you, exhort you, comfort you, convict you, saturate your heart and mind. So how foolish for Nicole to have this health problem and start randomly drinking Kool-Aid, being convinced that Kool-Aid's going to help her, right? (laughs) Like how foolish for us to go into battle without diving into the actual plan that will give us victory in the battle. And so the challenge there. Pursue God's word. Number three, be fervent in prayer. Um, I'm not going to take you, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to take you to Romans, but you go, you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and while I'm talking about some things in Romans, you guys will be ready for Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. But be fervent in prayer. Uh, in Romans... Nope, I'm sorry. Philippians. I just, you know, I wanted to jump, you know, have you be on your toes. Philippians, guys. We'll see what I did here. I'll be honest. What I did is this morning I had it not front and back, so it was an easy slide. But now I got them front and back, and I'm get myself all confused. Go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Those are the ones that I want you to look at before we jump to the next passage. Philippians chapter 4. Um, in Romans, God says this in Romans 8. Verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is a beautiful thing about prayer. We don't know what to pray, <laughs> or at least or how we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's a beautiful promise. Romans twelve twelve. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in what? Prayer. If you're in Philippians 4, uh, do I have a volunteer so I'm not talking the whole time? Would anybody be willing to read Philippians 4, 5 through 7? You got it, sir. Philippians chapter 4, 5 through 7. And again, I'll talk about prosperity gospel. This, this message is not, Lord, I need a new $80,000 Tesla. I'm making my request be made known unto God, and he's going to give it to me. That's not, <laughs> this, in context, it's saying don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything. So specifically in this case, what, what am I wanting? As a mature believer trying to become and grow in my faith, I'm wanting to get rid of these sins. I'm wanting to have victory in these sins. So is that part of the everything? So what am I supposed to do with that? God's speaking to me through his word, telling me, 
yes, you're, you're not living righteously this last week. Mm. And so I, I get that instruction and righteousness in the word, and then what I'm supposed to do is pray that back to God and say, I'm to bring this to, be, to, bring it to, to you and in supplication with thanksgiving, let them be known to God. And the beautiful thing in the context here, it says, and what's going to happen? There's going to be what right after that statement? The peace of God. There's going to be peace with God, which surpasses all understanding, and he's going to guard and direct my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, okay, that's a good one. When I apply it, apply it to my struggling sin, my repetitive sins, that I just want victory over. Deep down, God knows that. He's, he's shown me from his word that, that this, is how I, this is what I need to do to correct, and now I'm praying it back to him, and he has this promise here in Philippians that Paul writes, God is going to give you a peace and understanding, and he's going to guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word is a, we say it in, we say it in our pledges, God's word is a lamp, unto my, a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. Donald Whitney says it this way, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's, words, God's word in importance. Prayer is second in importance because it relies on our knowledge of God, which comes from reading his word. Without engagement with Scripture, our prayers are lacking. It's like having a phone conversation in which the other person can hear us, but we can't hear them. I thought that was an interesting take on Scripture and prayer. Point number four. If I'm serious about my sin, what did we say? I'm going to, number one, recognize the sin and turn from it. A heart of David. I'm going to pursue God's word. I'm going to be fervent in prayer. Next, number four, I'm going to run from idolatry. Now, this example, I like the example of Joseph, right? Because this is a time where he could have enjoyed his own pleasure, right? But he runs. He takes off. He, he, this is what God wants. This is what his flesh may want. And he says, I'm going to run from this. Because that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is putting my pleasure and what I want above God and what he wants, right? It's replacing, the, it's, it's getting those off. And so he, he runs from idolatry. He runs from the sin of adultery and idolatry towards God. Um, there are times to resist temptation and times to run from it, right? But I, idolatry, I, I'm going to kind of go on a little more narrative here. Idolatry isn't just worshiping a sport over God. I, as a kid, I played soccer. Uh, my wife loved horses. We still do horses. I still coach soccer. Um, we love those two things, right? And if we're not careful, yes, those two things can eat up a lot of our time, and they could become idols. We all recognize that type of idolatry, right? That when I start doing things and it consumes so much of my time that really I'm finding more pleasure in doing things than I am finding pleasure in my relationship with God. But it goes deeper than that because... Um, Idolatry can be, can be kind of subtle in that um, I'm justified in my complaining to, uh, hang on a minute, therefore making my response to a situation more comfortable, I lost my spot. If I go against God's word, I go against God. The exact terminology used in Israeli, uh, the Israel's rebellion, it was against God. Um, David recognized this against God concept. And so it's really anything that goes against what God says in his word because what God says in his word is part of who God is as a person. And so I'm sitting here when I complain, I cannot complain 
the sin of complaining. I cannot complain. I get, remember, like the Israelites, I get comfort in that sin. In that moment, this is how I feel, and I'm releasing that feeling, and I am satisfying something in my, my spirit. I'm complaining. And so when I complain against God, I'm complaining about who? God. And in that sense, it's any time where I am saying, I'm returning to sin, I'm returning to idolatry. I am worshiping something other than God, whether it's my own self-satisfaction in that sin. Okay? Uh, Romans 1.18 uh, puts it this way. Um, the apostle speaks of our sinful acts as exchanging, right? There's it's exchange. It can be that this exchange, uh, in, in idolatry, we exchange the glory of God for the glory of created things or pursuits or minor sins. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, Romans one twenty five. We steal from God. We pervert the affections that God has given us by extending them on worship of the created things rather than on the creator. That's the things that we know, right? But so often this elevation to worship of created things is not even the bad things per se, but the good things that we shamefully elevate to the place of God. As someone has said, we make good things ultimate things. And sometimes we accept bad things as good. Or, like Saul, at least not that bad. (laughs) We justify our complaining. We justify our anger and our sin. We justify our response in that situation. And in so doing, even that is idolatry against God. All right? So, just some talking. I'm I'm rambling now, but my last point in, uh, in challenging myself is what I really wanted to get to tonight, which is... Am I willing to do this? If you look at number five on your sheet, and you're in Matthew chapter five. Verse 29 in chapter five says something pretty intense. Kids, don't do this when you go home tonight. (laughs) But it does say something intense. If your right eye causes you to sin, throw it away. What? God is not promoting self-mutilation, okay? <laughs> uh, hyperbole. This is an exaggerated for it to, to get a point across. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's, instead of sinning, you would rather trade what's causing the sin to keep yourself pure before God. If your right hand is sinning, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body into hell. Now, this is referencing into salvation, but it still is in, it still is in reference to sin. It's better not to experience sin and the penalty of sin. You would, you would rather mutilate yourself than to experience sin and its consequences. With our house, did we go the distance? Yeah. Some advised, uh, some advised one way, others different ways. We came to the conclusion in order to ensure the health of our boys, our family, the most aggressive option was needed. So uh, we could have just kind of cut some things out and hoped that everything was okay. We could have kind of uh, painted over some things. And we said, no, if we're going to live in this home that's causing us a bunch of health issues, then we need to, we need to know what's behind every wall. We need to know what's behind every subfloor. We need to know what's behind... We didn't know everything. And so we kept digging. And the more we dig, the, the more 
sin. <laughs> That's what happens in us, right? The more you dig into your life, the more sin you find. The more you dig, the more mold we found, and the more drastic this treatment became. So looking at myself, am I willing to pursue holiness in the same passion that I pursued the health of my, for my family? Uh, are you willing to pursue holiness, kids, in the same passion you pursue football, hunting, leisure time, family time, fill in the blank? And sadly, if I'm honest, I haven't. I've been too busy. Isn't busy a great idol? <laughs> it's, not, it's not even one we like, but too busy. Uh, I jotted down some things because this is what I wanted. The strategic plan for spiritual victory. We know that it's not. That's why I laid everything else out. We know that it's not just striving, coming up with a plan. If you come up with this five-step plan, you're going to be a holy Christian. Uh, That's not it, right? That's why we walked through the first five points. You need to be doing all of those things. (laughs) But then there's some real practical stuff, right? I need to acknowledge um, my consistent sins, laziness, lust, complaining, discontentment, anger, dishonor, etc., but I, we jotted down, or I didn't really jot down, but we talked on the way home, and I said, you know what, what if we took five minutes, the two of us, Nicole? So here's just practical stuff. I'm just talking now. Um, what if you took five minutes every morning and prayed with each other for victory? Not just, Lord, keep us, keep us from sin. Help us to live holy today. Not just saying these broad, but be specific. Lord, we, re- we repent of our complaining spirit through this process. Lord, we don't want to be complaining believers anymore. What if you, as the man, you went, you went to your wife and you two know each other best, or even you know the sins of your children? What if your children got involved and said, yeah, you know what? I have not been obeying my mom. Or uh, for Jack, <laughs> I'm thinking of our son, uh, he, he, is, he, can, he can be kind of unkind towards his mother or towards grandma. And that's a pretty re- that's can be a repetitive thing because he's got his plan and he doesn't like people messing with his plan and he gets angry and he spouts off. He's only four years old. But can I bring my son into this concept of being aggressive towards purging out sin in his life? Can I say, Jack, let's pray every morning or let's pray every night and say, buddy, let's, let's pray for victory. Let's look at what God says about victory. You might not have, because again, time, 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 that's a big excuse, but take five minutes every day, and I want to pray with my wife and with my children and say, these are the sins in our life, and we are going to cover them in prayer. Can you do that? Five minutes? That's a practical thing, right? Man, uh, Psalm 145 this morning. Did I put it down? I did put it down in my notes. Uh, Psalm 145, I want to read this every day. I just want to commit to it. And you don't even need to read the whole thing. The whole thing would be great. But if you'd wake up and just read verses 16 through 20, this is what it says. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Guess what? <laughs> All the sin that you're particular, the sin that you, whatever it might be, you pick the sin. <laughs> you guys know yourselves better. Some are dealing more with lust. Some, we all deal with every sin, but some more than others in different areas. Thou openest thy hand, God says, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Who satisfies? Not this sin. God. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all of them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. Ah, man. The Lord, number one, he's righteous in all his ways. He's holy. He's the one that I have to go to. But he's also nigh. He is close to me. When I call upon him, he's with me. He, he dwells in me, right? 
call upon him in truth. Verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. This goes to the New Testament passage that there's no, there's no temptation that you, you're never going to be tempted beyond what you're able, right? The only way that you sin is because you choose to do it, not because the devil made me do it. The Lord preserveth, preserveth, he preserves all them that love him. Wake up every morning, one, two, three, four, five verses. I would dare say that if you woke up every morning this next week and read those five verses with your wife, just go with your wife. Just start with one. <laughs> start with one person. Forget the kids. I know. Sorry, guys. Uh, but if you can do it, some people's schedules, I know, I cry. Um, if you can do it, great. But just start there. Pick the sin that you, the wife knows. Let, let the wife pick the sin for the husband and the husband pick the sin for the wife. Ooh, that'd be fun. That might cause more conflict. Maybe not. Uh, but <laughs> pick your struggle. I don't care what it is. Pray over it for two minutes with your spouse and read those five verses. Do you think that taking in truth from God's word and praying back to him what he's teaching you is somehow not going to help you have victory over the next five days in that area? I bet it would. I bet it would. And it's not like it's an hour soccer game that you're devoting your time to or a deep Bible study that goes on for two hours. Write out spiritual goals with your family. That was something I mentioned this morning. Where do you hope to be at the end of this year with this particular sin? For me, I want things to happen because this was a big thing that happened in our life. And he's growing us in this area of Israelite-style complaining and, and being discontent with our circumstances. And we know the blessing's coming. We're looking at our home starting to come back together, and it's like, oh, we're getting excited. This is cool. Thank you, Lord. Even though for this whole year we have not been, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> We've been like, Lord, what's going on? Um, but, but we're getting there. But am I willing to say, you know what, I want to, if I want to look back at this, I, I want to go from here to the next year, and I want to see a massive difference in my own heart and my wife's heart and my children's heart on contentment with God's plan. And you know what? We may get back in our home, and it's beautiful, and guess what? Is there, there could be another massive thing in the, in the next three months. I pray not. <laughs> but there might be a, a massive thing with one of our health or with a home issue or with Whatever, whatever it is, right? Shifting into a new position. There could be another massive thing around the corner and I want to handle that thing or even just not that thing, but whatever life throws, whatever is in, my, in his plan for us to grow in this area of complaining. So am I going to write that out? You can create monthly objectives that will help your children meet those goals. Then look over what they wrote down a year from the day and see if there is any maturing or maybe there's some regression. I put down this time, time, time <laughs> under this section. Uh, I'll be honest with you, we didn't have time for this. If you ask my wife, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for my entire home to fall apart and somehow find $120,000 when I have a mortgage of $100,000 on a house that needs to be gutted. And we have, what, how much money in the bank? I don't have time for this. We use that excuse. We are busy. But guess what? When your life is on the line, you get it done. Somehow we had time to rebuild a home. Now we hire people and we worked ourselves as well. And God provided. But the point is, is we, we use that. How can we do this? And you might be saying, great ideas, Paul, but you don't have our schedule. <laughs> I know, but I know my schedule. We could sit down and compare it, right? Um, we're all busy. But when your life is on the line, you just do it. Most of us don't recognize that our spiritual life 
our well-being. That's the problem, right? We, we clearly saw this mold in the walls. I clearly pulled out and I looked and I have a picture of the boys' vents, a foot from their vent, and it's just filled with mold. Every time the furnace kicked on, it just sucked that mold and it blew it right into their, into their breathing. You know, they're laying there in a crib and the vent's a foot from them, Right? I saw it, and, and I aggr- we aggressively go after that. And so, so when, you're, when, when your life is on the line, so to speak, you, you, you fix it. But we don't recognize that. There's not this urgency in our spiritual walk, which there needs to be. We don't recognize that our spiritual life, our spiritual well-being is on the line. Like a struggling heart patient, deep down sometimes, some people don't really care. You're going to pound that third or fourth or fifth or sixth cookie that turns into clogging agents that wreak havoc on your blood flow, right? (laughs) And the heart. Because the addiction, the feeling of need is so strong, the temporal pleasures deceive the heart into thinking that such a fleeting pleasure is worth it. Is it really worth your life? With that, I will close. I... I don't have the answers. Uh, God gave me these ideas, and then I jotted a bunch of them down this afternoon. And I'm just sharing what God has been doing in our heart and life, and I pray that he will use. uh, This is what I really pray. I really pray that that you're you're not like me. who so often walks into a sermon, jots down notes, likes to be academic, likes to develop things, likes to, likes to sit and write all these truths down, but it takes you a really, really, wrong, really long time to apply all that good stuff you got in the message. Because that's where I'm at a lot of times. It's like, okay, that's some really good stuff you said there, God, and now the busyness of life just sinks in, and I got Monday morning, and it's going to hit, and all the kids got to go this way and that way, and spouses go that way and this way. And now three months went by, and if we came back three months from now, would we say, "How are you guys doing with complaining? Did you do? Any, did you write anything down? Did you pray? Did you read those five ver- five verses, guys? <laughs> like you, I mean, this would seem really easy for me too. I'm right there with you. I I don't want. I want to come back in three months and just say hi and walk through your doors and say, "Hey guys, guess what I've done." Uh, my wife and I, we prayed for two to three minutes every morning about our sin of complaining, and we read those five verses. Did you? And I would love to say that I did it. And, I would love to, and then it would be cool if like, you guys were like, yeah, we nailed it too. Because Satan is so stinking good, and our flesh is so warring against the Spirit. And we just come, and we soak, and we worship, and we don't follow through on a repentant spirit. We don't follow through on a broken and contrite heart. We don't follow through on these things. So that's my prayer for you. Um, Let's close in prayer and ask God for help. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you that you are good. And even when we don't know what to say because we are so weak in comparison to you, your Holy Spirit goes to battle for us in the throne room of God. You take our prayers and you... You walk them into the presence of a mighty God who can do great things in our life. And so we ask that you would do those things. We, I, I think most that are sitting here have a heart for you. They want to grow. They want to mature. They don't want to struggle in their marriage the same way they've struggled. They don't like what happens at times in their relationships. And they are pursuing that in their heart. But help it not just to be this, this lip, and not even intentionally, but just lip service that really doesn't, There's no major action. 
There's no drastic change. There's no uh, intense passion to pursue holiness. I pray that you give that to us, Lord. Help us to help us to pick up tomorrow morning, wake up tomorrow morning, and pray over our sin, not generally, but specifically, either on our own or with the ones that are closest to us. Help us to read your word, to pursue it. And then help us not just to walk through life without a plan. We plan for so many things. We plan vacations. We plan events. We plan almost everything in our life is planned for all these different things, and yet so so many of us don't plan for spiritual growth. Help us to take the time to do what's most important, to plan for our spiritual walk with you. Help us not just to say, I love you at the end of prayers, but to actually show you that we love you. In name I pray. Amen.